You're listening to Two Therapists in Therapy, a podcast about self-acceptance, self-love, and self-growth. I'm your host, Sarah Brill, a licensed clinical social worker, EMDR trauma therapist, and writer. And I'm your other host, Becca Moravec, licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and Enneagram enthusiast. I'm a two, Sarah is a four. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Becca. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good because we're sitting in this room with somebody else. Somebody super special. Hi, Kendra. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. And we're in a super special room in a super special place. We are. Uh huh. We are in Menlo Park, California. Mm hmm. And Sarah and I met our friend Kendra here to go to a six day long oh my god yeah i had no idea sorry continue (laughs) six day long (laughs) uh training on the enneagram Uh Mm uh-huh yeah and when we signed up for this i don't know if the two of you agree um but i had no idea what we were signing up for um six days is a really long time to be immersed in deep intense study and soul searching about a new psychological theory absolutely it's a really long time yeah how do you both feel it's been intense that's kendra by the way Uh absolutely i also did not know what i was signing up for i'm pleasantly surprised but it's been a lot it's been a lot yeah yeah we just finished day four and i know we talk about the enneagram on here a From lot time to time, yeah. yeah, and our client, I think, um, our some of our um, guests before this episode airs will have talked about it, but it's a theory of psychological and spiritual growth, and uh, Sarah and I are both therapists in therapy, and we're really lucky today to have our friend Kendra, who is a therapist in therapy as well. Yes, we are. Kendra, how do we know you? Well, um, I met these two beautiful souls at the Denver Family Institute when I was uh, doing my postgraduate MFT, Marriage and Family Therapy training uh, with Sarah and Becca was working on staff at DFI. And um, yeah, that was like, what, six years ago now? Something like that? Six years ago. It's a crazy long time. Time flies. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, well, so we're really excited to be here because you know, you met us in Denver, but you moved to Minnesota a year ago. I did, Mm -hmm. sadly. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty fun. We all got to kind of fly out to California to take this training together. And we thought, what better time um, to do this, to interview Kendra? Yeah, and Kendra has such an amazing story. So we're so excited that we got this opportunity because she has so much wisdom to share and we're so excited for our listeners to be able to benefit from all of her life experience. Well, some of her life experience, not all of it. We don't have time for you to share all of it, but, uh, but some of it. Thank you. Yeah. I feel really honored to be here with the two of you. Thanks. So thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. Can we go ahead and get started? 
Let's do it. Okay, Kendra, I'm going to start you with this question Sarah and I have been um, playing around with for a while now, which is what is your working definition of self-acceptance? That's an awesome question. And I really like the definitions that the two of you gave in your first episode. Um, But uh, I would say my working definition of it is kind of the the fight and the commitment to compassionately honoring all the various parts of ourselves. Um, And I see it as like a very, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, It's not static. It's a very, uh, it, it develops. It's a very complex process where we kind of come in and out of it. So the, mm. compassionate honor feels really key. Um, to Can that. you say more about that? I just think I, um, static meaning. I think that's the right word, right? Static meaning that it like it happens one at one point. Yeah. Um, and so having compassionate honor for this, like moving in and moving out, and the complexity of it feels like that's so intimately connected to acceptance um and so self-acceptance knowing that our uh our personhood and the evolution of ourselves is continuing to grow and unfold Mm -hmm. so i think at every stage we have to like look at it from a you know a loving heart and and an honoring heart that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And a word I noticed that you used was a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I don't want to fight, but I think that that feels so true to the self-acceptance process to mm-hmm. fight. It's, it is something that is worth fighting for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even that's what we're doing this week here, learning about the Enneagram and our personalities, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How so? <laughs> Well, just for our listeners so that they know what you're talking about. So the Enneagram, I mean, we've said this a lot, but if you're tuning in for the first time, it's a kind of a a development theory that there are nine personality types. And so what we're doing this week is looking at our personality type and our, what they call a type structure. Um, And within our personalities are a lot of things that are wonderful and beautiful. And then there's also a lot of like hard things and, Uh, things we do that are maladaptive and defense mechanisms that are kind of hard to look at. And uh, I think sitting with our personalities is something like acceptance is a huge part of the process. Actually, they use the word, they use the word acceptance, but they also couple that with allowance, Mm -hmm. like allowing it to exist. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so that's what we're doing this week is fighting for self-acceptance through getting to know and allowing our personalities to exist. That's so Mm. beautifully put. What an amazing explanation. Becca has such a gift for teaching. Oh, thanks. I love, one of my favorite things about you is how I can like, be like, Becca, will you explain this? And I know that when I ask you that, you're going to be like, "Uh uh-huh. And then you're just going to go into this like incredible explanation that sounds like it just came to you out of thin air. Like you just (laughs) reached up and grabbed it and we're like, here you go. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that's true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just sitting here like 
in yeah. awe. My, my jaw's kind of dropping. Yeah. Oh, you guys. So, yeah, but I kind of want to piggyback off of that um, because I love, I love how you use that word fight, like Becca said. Um, I think that's so true. And just knowing you, having the privilege of bearing witness to your story, it has been a fight. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, um, yeah. I think it it will be such a privilege today to hear how you flesh that out. So, um, yeah. So maybe let's start with the moment in your life where you knew. Well, first of all, do you want to share a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today? Like in terms of sure. like what's going to be the theme of your self-acceptance journey? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's start there. And I appreciate you, Becca, highlighting the word fight because as it, I didn't even notice it until you highlighted it, but I think that's going to be a big part of what we talk about today because it has been a fight Mm -hmm. and absolutely, um, like really hard, really, really hard. Um, so I would love to share with all of you just about my, um, my journey to kind of the first level of my ever my experience with self-acceptance, which was um, my experience of coming out of a religious trauma, uh, an experience of pretty significant religious trauma, um, and deconstructing my my personal faith, and actually in doing that, finding um, myself, and actually for the first time ever having a level of, of self-acceptance. So it's been pretty recent for me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Even just hearing you speak those words is so powerful. So taking that fight into account, when would you say was the first moment in your journey where you realized something about you was different Hmm. in regard to your community or in regard to the, to the environment you were being raised in as it relates to this religious trauma? Yeah, that's a it's a hard question for me because like looking back, I can see a lot of moments where I realized, but I w- I never would have allowed myself to see it, let alone name it. I maybe saw like a little glimmer of it, but I would never have named like, oh, I'm different. I stand out in this community. Um and I think it's hi- I think it's important for me to highlight that I actually was not raised in a conservative evangelical family um, in the sense that like my parents brought me to church, but it was actually my own choice to become really involved with uh, the conservative evangelical church. Um, And uh, hopefully people can hear in my voice and in my story that I, um, I have a lot of love for the Christian community and a lot of appreciation for um, those communities and, uh, it's been a huge part of my life. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of, I have a lot of love for that, even though it no longer is a part of my life. Um, so to answer your question, um, oh man, there's like so many spots. Why don't you just pick the ones that have the most energy, like pick Mm -hmm. your top three, um, or top two. Yeah. (laughs) I would say one, huge one was when I was at Bible college and I was, um, 
So I went to a really conservative uh, Bible school for my undergrad. And I went overseas for my internship between my junior and my senior year. And I had a really quite traumatic experience there on the mission field um, and was all alone, totally isolated out there. And I had my first ever, so like three days before I left the country of Portugal, I had my first ever panic attack, just like kind of out of the blue and um, flew back to the States. And I had like the biggest wave of anxiety and depression I had ever ever experience um to the point where uh I was like begging my parents not to make me go back to school and um my my now husband at the time was my boyfriend um was coming out to see me because we hadn't seen each other for you know three months and I was like please break up with me break up with me like I'm crazy um and that was such a like pivotal point in my story in the sense of like for the first time experiencing something on such a visceral core level that was not accepted and do I live in shame about this do I get help do I silence it um can you help when you say what was not accepted mental health yeah yeah okay and so I did go back to school and um one of the first things somebody one of my friends said to me was like, you're not trusting God enough to mm. um, basically heal you of your depression and anxiety. So at that time I had uh, thankfully got on some medication and started to see a counselor. Um, but it was in the act of saying like, this is what happened to me. Um, this is what I'm experiencing that I was just met with a tremendous amount of judgment um, and you know had a, a ton of shame. Like if you had been a better mm-hmm. person in this religious community, then you wouldn't be experiencing this. Yeah. I mean, that was said for <gasps> verbatim. Like oh, wow. if you had more faith in God, if you trusted God, he would deliver you. And um, yeah, that, I mean, that stands out as like such a huge point where the tension, I could no longer be blind to the tension, like in my own experience. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What, um, like, what did that bring up for you in the moment? Like, when you're being met with that, what was your awareness? I think my first, my first awareness was like immense uh, embarrassment and sadness, and I just like felt myself go, like, totally moved right into myself, and then it went to this place of like oh my gosh, like, I'm broken, what is wrong with me, I'm never going to get better, I'm not trusting God, like, I'm a horrible Christian, Um, if I only had more faith, this would be better, and then it moved into, like, an immense amount of anger, because my family was saying, like, you know, mental health runs in our family, like, we want you to get help, we totally support you getting, uh, who was the anger directed at? these friends okay and and the church and the church Mm -hmm. so how did it evolve from there um well i i think i kind of tucked it away Mm. (laughs) you know i got i got stabilized i you know i finished out my senior year um and i actually started working with a therapist out there who was wonderful name's linda my first favorite therapist. Mm. Um, she really saved me. Um, 
throughout my last couple years uh, at that school or my last year at that school and the last couple years after that. Um, but I really tucked it away because it was like, okay, this is no longer such a glaring issue in the forefront of my face in the forefront of my like experience. I can push it away. I can like now resume back to kind of all these check marks of what it means to be a good and faithful servant. And what I was doing was like really isolating this big part of myself which was my emotional uh my emotional being and just for our listeners who aren't as familiar with um christian language when you say good and faithful servant Mm -hmm. can you explain a little bit more about what that meant to you at that time yeah just uh it meant that i was um totally believing in god for deliverance of everything deliverance of any uh struggles emotionally, relationally, sexually, everything. Um, it meant that I could kind of push aside my struggles with depression and anxiety and say, like, in a way, they're not really an issue anymore, mm-hmm. even though they totally were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So just that language to me is so powerful. Like that's really heavy duty. Um, is that just as a personal curiosity, is that common language to be like referring to yourself as a servant of a a servant of God? Is Mm -hmm. that, you know, in the, in the community that I was a part of? Yeah. Uh I don't know if every, uh, well, definitely not every Christian community uses that language, Uh but yeah, I grew up in a pretty different, um, a different kind of Christian community that um, uses that language, but it doesn't have um, that weight. That because mm-hmm. when I hear that language, that it feels like joyful. So um, I resonate with the language, but the meaning it's it's interesting what we as humans do with spiritual language and spirituality, um, and when we use it to connect with the divine and when we use it to oppress people. Wow. That's so fascinating. When you hear that phrase, it sounds joyful to you. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so fascinating. And so just for our listeners, just so everyone kind of knows, since we're sort of probably going to be entering into a little bit of a dialogue about this as we interview you, um, Kendra, Becca and I all come from different kind of spiritual backgrounds. So, um, so for me, I was, and this is Sarah, I was raised in a family that's atheist. And so, and I'm, I'm not an atheist. I'm also not a, I don't identify as Christian. So for me, when I hear that, that language, like servant of God, my visceral, my first reaction is like a tightness, like, oh my gosh, that sounds really oppressive. That's, that's what I hear. So it's interesting to just hear that it brings up different responses, um, for you, Becca. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a ton of my, a lot of my personality um, as a giver on the Enneagram, a type two, um, like having a servant's heart is like something um, that exists within me. Um, and, but that feels like an autonomous choice. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's what I do to my friends. That's what I do with my clients. Um, and so it just comes from a different place. And I just think that, that's interesting when we're talking about spirituality and in any realm of how people will use and twist language 
out for power and oppression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what comes up for you now is when you use that terminology, like servant of God, what does that bring up for you? It feels mixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like identified that way. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a joyous, like what you're saying, Becca, it felt like a joyous thing. Um, but looking back, it was a role that... I didn't ever ask myself like is this something I want to take on mm-hmm. it was it was a part of the community it was what you did to fit in to be quote-unquote good to be um, seen as kind of holy and so it has like mixed experiences for me mm. like had I been a part of that community now I, I don't know if I would have liked that language does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I, don't, I I also think like language has changed, yeah. right? So I'm like thinking, well, now I would think about it because servant means something, mm-hmm. right? Um, like div- kind of means like no choice. So I, I'm kind of thinking um, like good and faithful helper or good and <laughs> yeah. faithful giver, like right? That. Which is like, so it's semantics are important yeah. and the way we use them are important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a question I have thought about in a long time. So I'm not, I don't like have, have a position like that's a good phrase or that's a bad phrase. It just is interesting. Totally. Totally. So can you talk a little bit more? So you said, um, so just bringing it back to your story. So you were talking about how there was that moment when you were in, before before your senior year right of Mm -hmm. college and having the anxiety and then feeling the shame about it from your community and then seeking out your therapist and um getting on to medication and feeling like there was this sort of it sounds a little bit like a stopping of the bleeding almost Mm -hmm. like um but there was also like a tucking away of the anger that you felt towards the church so how did things evolve from that point in terms of your self-acceptance journey yeah, I I really for the next um gosh, maybe like next 5 years, 5 or 6 years, I don't know, I'm bad with timing, but maybe the next 5 years I would say it was hidden away. I mean, I got married, I moved to a different state. Uh my husband and I immediately jumped into ministry and were totally like our whole life was that community. And so um all along the way, even before that story that I started with, there were instances where things felt super incongruent for me within the Christian community that I was a part of. Um, But where it kind of really came to a head was um, when my husband and I were serving at at a church. And um, basically, we had someone in our lives, a couple that were, you know, two of our best friends, and um, they essentially manipulated and gaslit my husband and I, and spread a bunch of lies about us as a couple and me individually and, and my husband individually. And um, I mean, it's a very long story that I won't get into here, but essentially, it uh, we lost our entire community. Uh, all but two couples friends who who really you know had um were 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 two people two four people that uh actually stopped and said like is this who we know Kendra and Josh to be um so in our first year of marriage 
uh, our whole life just crumbled, um, all that we knew it to be because um, we were totally ostracized based on these two people's misrepresentations of us. And I would say that was like the next point for me because I couldn't hide, I couldn't like ignore the inconsistencies anymore. And there had been several other kind of bigger ones along the way, but yeah, I, it was like so big and so cutting to lose literally everything. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, push it away anymore. At that point, were you making these connections? Like I'm hearing you say, I, there was inconsistency, but do you think that you were like had awareness, like these people were not supportive of my mental health and these people are here and this maybe has some sort of connection with this faith? No, I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question because when I really started to put the pieces together was when I actually left the church and when I totally got out of that community that so I, it was not yet. No, when you were. Yeah. Okay. How were you processing this? Like this second trauma? Cause it sounds like the first trauma was in Portugal. And then the second trauma was when you moved. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how, how were you making sense of it all? I was just like a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was so devastated and so depressed and so confused mm-hmm. because here's this community that I'm looking to for guidance and for acceptance and, um, information about how to live and, and, and how to be married and everything. And they're saying, uh, you're wrong. You're, you're bad. You know, the message was like, to, to Josh, you know, you're, you're not called to ministry. You're not Mm. meaning God has told somebody else that you're not called to ministry, um, anymore. And so basically I just, I felt like if I was to turn it into an analogy, I felt like a parachuter falling out of a plane and trying to deploy a parachute and there's no parachute on my back, but everyone in my, you know, 25 years had told me there's a parachute on your back, Kendra. Wow. You can pull it out. That's so crazy. So you're just plummeting to, yeah. towards the ground. Yeah. And but, I have no idea where the ground is. So, but you're, you're still here and I'm seeing Becca, you're raising your mic. So, oh, okay. Um, cause what I'm, I'm wanting to like go off of that analogy, which feels like, um, super powerful you're still alive like right now I'm looking at you you didn't get smushed onto the ground so I'm wondering like what arose to help kind of for you to land your fall Mm because um there's something that shifted in your story um after these two traumas that that caught you yeah yeah um or is there more that happens before that happens? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of like content, but I would say what happened after that is Josh and I tried to fumble around and find like more community um, in the Christian church and, it, and, and we had been so hurt that we would try to enter and it was just like so painful that um, eventually about like a year and a half to two years after that, we decided to take a break. And so that I would say that is when I really started to um, 
deconstruct like what are the messages I've been carrying what are the values I've been carrying and do they fit with me and I would say in at the same time I was um I was starting to figure out who I actually was as a person um and I had always kind of known pieces of it but you know it was always under the lens of this community so it was hard for me to know where do I end and where do I begin apart from a community like this and this was actually part of when I met people like you Sarah and you Becca um, was in this time frame and uh, I started having and developing friendships with people who didn't identify as Christian or and were part of a different um, upbringing that gave me windows into what it looked like to a know yourself B, have any level of acceptance of self. And the biggest thing for me was I was interacting with people that like had intuition and had an inner sense of knowing and a compass. And I remember meeting you, Sarah, and thinking like, what the heck? Like I have no, I have no inner compass and no idea of how, how to find it. Um, so it felt like I was just like floundering and I, I mean, had no idea, but then at the same time was building these relationships with people that were essentially going to be the ones pulling me, uh, drawing me out and helping me discover myself. So it, it, it started once I left the community, even though looking back, I would say, I was noticing all these things along the way. I just was so committed to not looking at them because that was so terrifying. And so that process of seeing people who had this, can you just speak a little bit more about like if there was a battle or fight about accepting this, like, was it a decision oh, I'm I'm leaving and I'm done or or did the choice in and of itself take on a battle for acceptance? That's a great question. Um I think the choice in and of itself took on its own battle. I mean, I I just talked to my therapist about this like 2 weeks ago. She's like, "Kendra, you have no idea when you came to me that first time." And I I distinctly remember what I told her. I said, I don't know what I believe anymore. I can no longer be a part of this community. It feels very inauthentic to me. And I have no idea what it means to have intuition and to know within myself, can you help me do that? And, uh, and she reminded me of this like two weeks ago, um, that when I, when we were working early on in our relationship that I, Uh, she described it as, um, I was terrified to even look at the possibility. I knew it no longer fit, but I couldn't like even hold on to that because I was deconstructing like literally every facet of my understanding of life. The possibility for what? Um, uh, leaving the faith. Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, and looking like figuring out what that looked like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it strikes me as somebody who was um, raised Lutheran ELCA and didn't really know about conservative evangelicalism. Like I know we're talking about language a lot, but you just said the faith, like as it's the one. Uh Um, And I think that is just 
fascinating and maybe even a part of it is like an assumption that like we we as humans in this place know best mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and maybe that i'm reading into you saying the faith but i know that i've had experiences of people kind of telling me um that like being lutheran is is not enough mm. Right. And so I think that's interesting that you just said leaving the faith. Like yeah. it's like this big. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it is a big thing, but I, I, it, it sounds, it, it sounds, speaks to the power that it had yeah. over you. And yeah. I'm, and I'm also aware, like I'm listening from the way that I would be listening if I were listening to this podcast that, that it almost sounds like a language. Like when you guys talk about it, that I don't even know, like, oh, I yeah. don't know what Lutheran LLCA is. What ELCA. ELCA. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's a denomination. Uh-huh. Um, like, I don't know, Catholicism mm-hmm. or Methodist or it's just a denomination mm-hmm. of right. Christianity, of Protestant Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just interesting because it sounds like there's a whole world that exists um, and it seems like when you're within it, it, it feels like it's the world, but when you're outside of it, it's it doesn't, make a whole lot of sense absolutely yeah absolutely and I mean I think you hit on a good point Becca that like you know it it was in in the way the community I was a part of it was the faith and the only faith and um it is a it's is its own language and I think that's part it was part of the um the challenge for me because I I didn't have a language outside of that. So when I stepped outside, I didn't really, I mean, I was like a virgin in every sense of the word, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to communicate with other people. I don't know how to not talk in this certain way that's, looking back, I really always struggled with uh word usage because they were kind of words were just tossed around and uh nobody ever really defined them mm. but we all kind of had an understanding of what they meant but you know so it's like uh it, it felt it felt just like uh mysterious yeah it's it kind of feels like fumbling around in the dark a little bit yeah definitely mm-hmm. so um what's coming up now as we're talking about it um, I, you know, it's, um, it's been a really long process and I'm just kind of skirting over the whole theme of it, but it's, I, I look back and I, and I think like, wow, um, it was very scary and I had no idea that I, I had no idea the level of, of depth at which I did not know myself. And so I have a lot of sadness thinking about that I really only came into myself in my mid-twenties, you know. Um, there's a lot of grief there mm. about that. That makes total sense. Can you speak more about that? So you met um, people and started therapy with your therapist that you're still working with. Mm-hmm. Is that what was what else went into that process when people are wondering what is building acceptance of self look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, if I'm understanding your question um, correctly, 
I would say it started with me looking at other people and seeing these things that I had no no compass for and realizing that I wanted that. And it was like for the first time an example of somebody that could make a decision based on their heart and their gut versus like based on someone else's opinion or um, like a group think idea. Um, and simul- I, d- I didn't mention this, but simultaneously I was you know getting my master's and, and having a lot of uh, people subtly break down these messages that I was receiving in the former community um, to, to the point where I'd have these like aha moments like, oh man, like I, I actually can be a pastor. Like here my teacher told me that I could be a biblical scholar and I could be a pastor and like, whoa, what does that mean? I've never let myself think that as a, as a, uh, as a woman that I could occupy a space like that. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, you know, seeing some of my friends transition and, uh, um, own their own, own their sexuality, like all of these things are what started to break down some of the values that actually allowed me to start, um, figuring out who I was. I had to break down the messages that I was carrying and determine whether or not they fit for me anymore. And that's actually where I started to figure out who I was. That's so brave. Thank you. That's so brave. So many people never even touch that. Hmm. That is, I mean, just so powerful. Thank you. What do you think allowed you to tap into that level of courage? That's a good question. Yeah. There was, I, I think what's going through my mind is obviously my partner, we did this at very similar times, thankfully. Um, and I mean the two of you and our, and our, some of our mutual friends in our group, in our friend group that were saying like, yeah, you can, you can, uh, know yourself and you can, you can, uh, love yourself and have a place of, um, uh, acceptance and compassion and, and, uh, pride in yourself in in a healthy way and um and really friendships that were allowing me to facilitate exploration of my own internal world and how that uh, incorporated with my outer world whereas that would have never happened in former communities um and i would Can say, you say more about that like how that would have never happened yeah, I mean, I, you know, the 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 church and the communities that I was a part of. Um, it's funny because, you know, we use this term. This term called faith is used, and it's like this idea of blind um, belief. And I think faith is so beautiful. Like the concept of it is really amazing. But for me, I really can't settle into things of sh- with surety without without exploring like um alternatives and and exploring like what I actually feel about that so it you know things would have been told to me and no exploration would have happened around it so uh, I'm trying to think of an example like women can't be pastors okay women can't be pastors 
I could never think about that. But, you know, so when I stepped outside of that community, here I am with empowered women, men who are uh, very supportive of women saying like, Kendra, you can do whatever you want. And I have to give my dad credit. He he has always told me I could do whatever I want. So my family is a little bit separate from this, which I'm, I'm very lucky about. Um, I didn't have to go through this process and potentially lose my family like a lot of people do. Um, but I was going to say, to answer your question, Sarah, the other piece was just this. The moment I started exploring my own internal world, there was this sense of there's something on the other side of this and I just had to keep going. Mm. Like there was a very deep internal sense of knowing that this is right and I'm supposed to do it and I shouldn't be afraid. And I used to tell people like, you know, I had friends that would ask me like, where are you going to church? And I would say, I'm, I'm not going to church anywhere. And, um, and you know, they'd have some sort of response like, oh, that's okay. You'll, you'll come back. And, and, and I would say, well, actually I, I feel really confident. Like I feel like God is very happy with me, like taking this exploratory journey. And I feel, I really feel that. I would, that is just a beautiful acceptance. And I'm wondering about your, like what that looks like. And I think you just gave us a example of what it looks like in daily life. And what does it look like today to accept? Like, what is the practice of self-acceptance with this part of your story look like? How do you engage with it? Yeah. Um, I would say that I, it's interesting. I, I, I think I was sharing this with somebody the other day that, um, I think religious trauma is, is like really any trauma that it has such a fundamental impact on the developing self and someone's sense of self. So I would say on a daily basis, I'm confronted with some of these old messages and old automaticities that I constantly have to say like, whoa, Kendra, like, is that you? Is that your voice or is that someone else's voice? And, um, I'm still, uh, I'm still like, I, I feel, um, like I'm very aware of who I am and what, who, what I'm about and kind of my essence, but I'm still, still learning about that and still exploring what it means to me to have an authentic, um, spiritual practice that feels not, um, uh, not incongruent as well as that accepts all parts of me. Um, so it's kind of this dance of like, um, checking things out before I adopt them on, which is the opposite of what I was trained to do. Wow. I'm just like right now listening to you. I'm just in awe. It's funny cause Becca attached to that and and kind of like highlighted that beautiful word that you used of be, this being a fight and I'm just thinking about how like you've really been in the ring with this like just thinking about how you're constantly checking in with yourself about like is this my voice or does this come from someplace else and constantly evaluating where all of you know the input is coming from that you're choosing to kind of um adopt into your life 
again, just the awareness and the commitment to that battle is kind of awe inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the strength that that's had to have taken for you mm-hmm. is pretty amazing, especially considered considering this was the community you kind of, I know your parents didn't put you in this, but this is the community you were raised in. This is yeah. the community that like you came up in. So yeah. to have to really like dismantle that and walk away from it. Mm-hmm. It's been really it's painful. huge. Yeah, I yeah. bet. Painful and really inspiring. I feel like whenever anybody hears like, the, the, I mean, this is so prevalent religious trauma in all sorts of religious traditions. And so I think when people hear that there's people out there who have done it and are doing it and are accepting of themselves, they're like, you know, you're like this light. Mm. And that's how I experience you as this light. I think whenever I hear anybody, you know, kind of hint at religious trauma, I'm like, oh, I know somebody who's done this work and and helps people through this. Um, yeah. And on that note, I, that's so beautifully put Becca. And, um, I'm, I'm curious, like what have been the gifts of this battle? Like on the other side of it? I love that. Um, there's been a lot. I mean, we're talking about self, self acceptance. I would say that's one of the biggest ones. Like go, go into it, like get deep with us. What are the gifts Um, we need to know? Yeah. I, for the first time, you know, this has been, you know, over the last six or so, seven years, I um, can make a decision that is like based on multiple different things, but one based on enjoyment, Mm. based on like happiness. Um, Can you give us an example? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm just yeah. wondering to like really like, drive it home. I have always been obsessed with pottery and um, I told myself I wanted to take a pottery class and I did it and I would have never done that because I, mm. my, my energy would have been spent towards continuing the mission of the church. Wow. So, I mean, there's like, there wasn't any room for me to have an identity outside of the Christian community. Which you're such a creative, like to be your friend is to know like you as a musician and you as an artist and um, just a generally creative human. And also I own some of your mugs um, that you have made. She's such an amazing potter. And and they're like, when to see them is like, I'm like, there's Kendra. Like, even Mm. though you moved to Minnesota in the morning, I can be with Kendra, a little Mm -hmm. bit of Kendra. And so I just, I'm just struck by that self-acceptance is like leaning into creativity, which Sarah talked about in her episode. So Mm. it's just beautiful. Mm. Just wanted to say that. (laughs) So, yeah. So, um, creativity is self-expression and having room for that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other gifts that this battle has birthed? Yeah, I mean, an, another big one is that I, my, I, I, I was telling this to somebody the other day. I feel like for the first twenty-three years of my life, I was seeing in black and white and gray, and mm. 
then now i'm seeing in like all oh my colors of the rainbow and um uh it's it's been incredible i feel like i love people deeper i feel like i see i, I see myself but i also see people more clearly and it's given me just a tremendous amount of appreciation for um yeah it makes me emotional Mm. like appreciation for um diversity and humanity and our experiences Mm. and just like what it means to be human and to live and to love Mm. um yeah it's a lot so powerful so powerful oh my gosh thank you yeah um go ahead becca wants to say something well no are we i just wanted to ask like because i think you're using this in your work as a therapist Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering where our listeners can find you find you and hear more about you Mm -hmm. yeah thank you i yeah this is one of my specialties in my private practice in saint paul I, i support people that are uh identify with religious trauma or are just wanting to explore their relationship with their own spirituality and or find more authentic faith expression um so my website is just kendra snyder therapy.com that's s-n-y-d-e-r and you also have an instagram i do it's i need to get better about posting on it that's okay but it's a place people can find you that's kendra snyder therapy as well yeah and we'll link to your website and instagram in our show notes and as always you can look at our Instagram and we'll for sure be tagging Kendra in some pictures from this week long training (laughs) that we're in together. Yeah. And I just want to say, I know we need to wrap up, but, um, Kendra, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open about such a hard topic. And, um, I know there are 80 million more layers to it that, um, you didn't even have a chance to get into today, but just again, the courage, the bravery, the willingness to share your story. The um, fight. Yeah, the fight. Um, the parachute drop without the parachute. Um, the willingness to share that for, you know, somebody else who needs to hear your story is just um, such a brave thing to do. And thank you for giving your time and your love and your trust to us and our listeners mm. and your thank story. You. Thank you both so much. I really love you guys. We love you too. We love you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thanks, Kendra. Thank you. Signing off. Signing off. (laughs) Hi, it's Sarah and Becca again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can tune in on your favorite podcast player every other Monday to hear us talk with special guests about self-acceptance, self-love, and self-growth. See you in a few weeks.